0: Today on the Tearsheet Podcast. The reality is nobody is everything to everyone, right? And so what we've seen over the last three, four years is platforms for every purpose, right? If you are two people in a garage and you want to get a product to market, there's a platform for that. If you want to launch just a standalone virtual card and nothing else, it's a platform for that. If you want to launch a custom banking product at scale, there's Helix for that, right?
1: Hi, I'm Zach Miller, Tearsheet's editor-in-chief. The following was produced by Tearsheet Studios in collaboration with Helix. Hey,
0: my name is Ahan Sarkar and I'm the general manager for Helix, which is uh, an embedded finance platform that powers companies like Credit Karma, Acorns, Betterment, you name it, in building kind of unique banking products for everyday people.
1: And, you know, we go back a while, Ahan, and um, Helix wasn't always called Helix. This is one thing that, that we're seeing um it's sort of the first generation or the early to market players um, who have achieved some maturity in the market and um, we're starting to see them begin to either to rebrand or begin the process of rebranding um, they have some experience uh, you know some <laughs> some scars to show for that and and some some better idea I think of of who their customers are and their value proposition in the market and so we're starting to see these big brands uh, you know undergo this process. Um, I know Helix is newly Helix. Maybe we could talk about from your perspective, um, looking back, like what, what was that process like? And um, what did you learn through that process?
0: Yeah. I think I'll start with the why are fintechs rebranding in general, and then we'll talk about the, the Helix yep. rebrand. I think you're seeing particularly those fintechs that have been around for four, five, six years, in some cases explore rebranding because like you said, they have a better understanding of who they are and what they're trying to do. They have a better understanding of who their customer is. And as more and more people have popped up into the space, they wanna be memorable, they wanna be different, right? And so you might see them simplify their design aesthetic. You might see them go after a particular color that nobody else out in the market is using. Um, You might see them focus their go-to-market strategy on a particular customer segment or on a particular set of messaging. And I think, That's just part of the evolution of of growing these types of businesses, right? Five, six, eight, 10 years ago, when a lot of these products were were coming out for the first time, fintech didn't necessarily exist in the way that it existed now. The demographics that they're targeting weren't necessarily primed for those kinds of products. But in the last eight years, a lot of stuff has changed, right? And so I think you're seeing these fintechs capture that new identity and really build a brand on that in the market because maybe we can talk about this later, as there's more and more competitors entering the market, that memorability, that differentiation are gonna be, I think really critical for a lot of these, both direct to consumer and direct to business fintechs um, when it comes to beating out their competition. In Helix's case, it was a little bit of that, but it was a little bit different as well. As you know, uh, the Helix story is a a pretty interesting one, right? Um, We initially went to market with a sort of joint venture type arrangement, grew that business, brought it inside of Q2, really catalyzed that business at Q2. And we realized that we had sort of evolved the platform to a point where it was a little bit different than what it was originally, right? It was a meaningful upgrade over what we had before. We, like the other fintechs, had a better sense of who we were and what we were trying to do. And to be totally honest with you, one of the challenges that we had when we brought it inside of Q2 is Q2 is super well-known for digital banking and lending for banks Mm -hmm. and credit unions. But with Helix, we were focusing on tech companies, brands, fintech companies. And so we needed a brand that would become the go-to for embedded finance, right? And so the question was, how do you build that go-to brand? How do you build it in a way where it's not just about the nuts and the bolts, right? Because at the end of the day, we're an infrastructure company, right? We sell the capability to go build things. Mm-hmm. But if we think about why we're here, that tagline that we that we have, that we hold as our mantra, which is make finance human, that's why we're here, right? And we realize that it's not just us, that's why a lot of our clients are here. You might see that Acorns is different from Betterment, is different from Gusto, is different mm-hmm. from um, Credit Karma, but each one of them in their own way is trying to make finance human for a different group of people, right? And so when we were thinking about what is the right brand for an infrastructure company that wants to stay behind the scenes, but that wants to catalyze a societal change, that's kind of where we netted out in talking to a lot of our clients. So yeah, it was basically that platform upgrade, figuring out who we were and then uh, using that to differentiate, not just our product strategy, but also our brand in the market.
1: I really appreciate one of the things that you took an aspirational approach to the brand. And I, I think that's really important. I think as, as some of these earlier companies start to rebrand, you know, it's like what's in the brand already then allows them to extend into new markets, into new products. Um, you, you took this sort of aspirational route. I'm just curious, like behind the scenes, um, I guess as a software company, was was that an easy move to talk, to move into, you know, instead of talking about nuts and bolts and features, uh, to move into aspiration or, or, or did it come more naturally to you guys?
0: Honestly, it came by really organically. And to give you the real truth of it, I mean, a lot of this growth happened a growth happened during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're hiring a bunch of people remotely, where we're trying to figure out what is what is the common thread between everyone that we're bringing on. What are we trying to do? And we found ourselves, like, when we get excited about what we're doing at work, we get excited about a new product someone's building that no one's ever done before. We get excited about that customer who calls in and is like, I didn't have to go to a payday lender because I got my free free cash advance. Like, we get excited when we do a billion dollars in early ACH deposit because that means people got a billion dollars earlier to do whatever they needed to do, right? And so we realized that it is not building a new way to process ACH that gets us out of bed it is the societal impact. It's what it does for real people, right? And so when we looked at who do we hire? So we hire diverse people with different points of views that maybe don't even come from the world of finance, right? What do we go after? So Mm -hmm. changing the face of how this financial system works. That's why I go to work. That's why a lot of our teammates go to work. And then what is the unifying thread between our clients who are tackling very different problems for different demographics? And it all came back to that concept of this financial system has been sort of cold and disassociated for most consumers for a long time, if we can be even a small part of making that human, then our work is worthwhile, right? And it pretty quickly grew from like this internal rallying cry inside the organization to something much bigger. As I think during COVID, a lot of people ask that question of why do I work? Like, what am I doing with my life? And I think having a really meaningful purpose and actually guiding your product strategy, your go-to-market strategy, your operational strategy off of that purpose, Made work more meaningful, if that makes sense, um, and also made totally the relationships nice. inside the company more meaningful, right? Because especially remote, right? We now have north of 130 people split across the country. Wow! When you treat each person as a real human being and you get to know them and you get to know their spouse and their family, it's a meaningful relationship, right? And if you can get meaningful work and meaningful relationships, well, that's a that's a pretty that's good cool. place to be, right? Yeah. So so that's that's kind of how we how we ended up getting there and this idea of hey, every human being is different, right? How can we make it so that our financial products are as different, that they that they consider the context about us, that they're a little human, you know?
1: I appreciate that. And I I want to shift gears to talk about um, those companies building banking products. Um, sure. And, you know, one of the contentions that Tearsheet has and that we've been observing is um, what platforms like Helix do is enable lots of different industries now to start getting into finance, ones that, I know you and I have spoken over in the past that you wouldn't have expected to. Um, yeah. can, can you talk about what you're seeing from your perspective, both from current clients, maybe pipeline, like what are you seeing in terms of uptake in terms of of different industries? Great question.
0: I think for prospects, we're seeing a continuation of the trend that, man, started with that piece that we did together on non-intuitive use cases of banking as a service, right? Like 2019. In that time- yeah. Yeah. At that time, it yes. was crazy that a lending company would go build banking. It was crazy that an insurance company would consider banking. Um, that's changed, <laughs> right? Today, I think we see lots of different verticals launching. Mm-hmm. And in particular, in the last 12 to 18 months, we've seen a, a big surge of interest outside of the financial realm, right? And mm-hmm. so together, we've gone from payments, to savings, to PFM, to lending, to payroll, to insurance, but now we're getting into gig economy. Now we're getting into marketplaces. Now we're getting into brands and telcos. And that's changing the types of products that people can build. So there's a continuous expansion outside of finance into new verticals. But I think at the same time, there's a bit of a, of a reckoning of sorts for existing companies, right? Because I think when we started these conversations, it was sufficient to be able to launch a product out into market. If you could launch a custom banking product out there, it out probably... There. Yeah. Drive valuation. You could drive hype. You're one of the first people. Origins. Yep. Right. Right. And and when, you know, Helix first started, there weren't 15, 20 platforms that you could build on. Right. And so even getting to market was a big thing. That's a little different now. And I think we're seeing that in the public markets, as we look at some of the folks who either wanted to go public or did go public and how those valuations changed. But we're also seeing that in the private markets where as the investors become more savvy, as the, the platforms become more savvy, as the customers become more savvy, and as their customers become more savvy, you're seeing a a pivot to companies that are building successful businesses and not just bringing a product to market. And I think that raises the question of what's the difference right, between bringing a product to market and building a successful business. And really, it comes down to all of the things that don't make that front page. right? It comes down to how are your operations run? How are you handling fraud? What's your customer acquisition cost? What's your distribution channel? How are you actually differentiating your product with, I think we've talked before about practical differentiation versus conceptual differentiation, right? So how are you building differentiation that can't just be replicated tomorrow? And I think what you're seeing is the companies that are very successful are those that focus on the backend stuff. How do I make sure I have the right tech stack, the right operational team, the right bank partner, the right fraud mitigants? Because that's what's going to make my program profitable. Because if you don't do that, and let's say you're really successful. Let's say you drive millions of customers, but then each customer loses you $6. Mm-hmm. That's, not a great, that's not a great proposition, right? Because then your business effectively just loses $6 million a year and there isn't hope of, of fixing that, right? So I think within our clientele and within our prospects, you're seeing greater awareness and better understanding of the business model. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing more focus on some of the things behind the scenes and items that will enable people to actually differentiate because they're realizing how important that is.
1: I think what's really interesting when you think about companies entering now, it's still early days, um, but they do have the benefit of, of looking at the pioneers who, who launched these products and they can learn from them. So it's not like they're not creating the script as they go. There actually is, um, there is some, some learned experience out there. Are, are you seeing that as
0: well? Definitely. I, I would say prospects split into two categories. Okay. There's still one category of prospect that will come to you and say, I want to be the next cash app. I want to be the next Chime. I want to be the next insert successful fintech company here. And to those people, you know, we point out those companies have been around for six, seven, eight years. They've built a user base. They've built differentiators. They got to where they are today, not overnight, but in phases. What is the piece of that that you want to win, right? What is the piece of that that you want to tackle? Because I think to your point, there's a lot that you can learn from in looking at those types of companies, but you don't get there overnight, right? You get there by focusing on something, winning that and kind of expanding bit by bit. And then I think there's the second type of prospect that, to your point, has learned from others' successes and failures in the market and had that guide how they build the product, but then also how they support the product, right? Mm -hmm. So they might have seen a peer go build with some kind of platform, get to market quickly, but then start to have some challenges as they scale. And as they want to go and start to compete against their peer, realizing, hey, if I just start with something that scales and that deals with all this backend stuff to start, I'll actually build an intrinsic advantage over time. And that's kind of guiding the way they, they go through the buying process. So definitely more clarity there, though some people still want to become the, you know, the next FinTech company that is exactly the same as something that they saw out in the market.
1: It sounds like, a, Han. like through this conversation, you've also kind of put your finger on, I guess, winning attributes of the companies that that will be successful in this market. So it's, it's, it's the companies that think about building sustainable business and, and think about mm-hmm. differentiating with this. Um, Is there more how you think about or guide your prospects or clients um, to success?
0: It depends on the prospect because different kinds of companies are going to have different kinds of challenges for a brand who's never launched financial services. The question is really going to be how do they hedge their execution risk so that they're not suddenly signing up for a whole bunch that they're not going to be able to tackle and then, how do they use their existing brand ecosystem to create something that other people can't create? For fintechs that are pivoting from one part of fintech into another, it might be trying to find the overlap and fund flows that can create that one plus one equals three moment, right? Mm-hmm. For other companies that are trying to build new hooks that have never created before, it might be introducing them to regulators or their compliance partner at the bank to help them work through the terms and conditions, right? Like we just launched. Um, five-day early tax returns, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because we wanted to make sure that that people could get access to those. That took some regulatory conversation, right? Because we want to make sure that when someone launches a product, it's successful. And so I think what we found is you're not giving someone advice once. It's, It's a relationship, right? You're constantly looking at the ebbs and flows together and saying, have you tried this? Have you considered this? And You know, we, we stood up a debit portfolio optimization team that we offer as a free service to our clients where we sit down and say, Hey, let's look at your debit portfolio. Let's look at what's succeeding, what's not succeeding. And even before that, in the process, when they're building their portfolio, if they want to know what's the best way I can design an onboarding process, how could I design this screen? So it doesn't jut out in my existing application. It's that kind of help. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people see that and they say, why are you spending all this time up front for free before you've even cut a deal? And the answer is simple. The answer is for us, it's a quality, not quantity deal, right? And so everything that we can do to improve their probability of success in the long-term pays off, right? So um, we find ourselves giving guidance across that spectrum. Um, and and companies sit at different points in that spectrum. Some companies know exactly what they want, exactly how they're going after it. And it's a very um, tactical comparison between technology, operations, et cetera. And others want more assistance in their go-to-market and we're kind of there where they need it.
1: So, so let's continue to talk about the platform um, and other platforms. So, um, sure. one of the things you know that has has occurred since you and I have started speaking years ago is um, there are more platforms out there. There, there are more entrants in the market. It's gotten crowd more crowded. And so, um, how do you think about um, this increase in in options um, for for companies building
0: brands? First of all, it's really exciting, right? Yeah. I think the reality is nobody is everything to everyone right and so what we've seen over the last three four years is platforms for every purpose right if you are two people in a garage and you want to get a product to market there's a platform for that if you want to launch just a standalone virtual card and nothing else it's a platform for that if you want to launch a custom banking product at scale there's helix for that right so i think what you're seeing is across the spectrum of what is the size of client you go after. And what is the complexity or use case that you're going after? You're seeing different platforms kind of fill different pieces of that. Now, the natural consequence that comes from that is platform differentiation becomes important, right? Right. I think because
1: the product that what happens is convergence, right? Like everybody seems to offer something similar.
0: And all the words are the same, right? All the words are the same. It's like when we went to market in 2016, 2017, I was like, what is banking as a service, right? And then around 2019, when you guys did your embedded conference, it was banking as a service is everything. And then now it's, I can't tell the difference between these banking as a service providers. Can you help me under, understand that, right? And so I think, and actually we opened this podcast talking about um Helix, why we did the rebrand. Really, the, the rebrand was a sub of the overall strategy, which is we realized that hey, within that spectrum, we do best with the largest clients and we do best with the most custom type deployments. We don't do the like, get a vanilla product to market quickly. It's not our special sauce. Our special sauce is how do we take your existing business, how do we take banking and how do we combine them to make something new, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we thought about, okay, how are we going to go build a brand to reflect that, that idea that a Helix takes the same building blocks, but you can make different human beings, animals, whatever, was what we what we rolled with, right? Because at the end of the day, what we're helping people do is take those building blocks, accounts, cards, payments, data, whatever, plug that into their business and build something new. And so as we've gone out into the market, people are starting to realize, oh, Helix is the one who works with those larger companies, who builds those custom hooks, et cetera. But we have people who come to us and say, hey, I want to launch products internationally. Are you the person? We're probably not, but we'll refer you to someone who is, right? Or mm-hmm. I I just starting a business, want to get it to market, and I'm looking for a virtual card. Again, probably not us because we work with slightly larger companies, but we'll send you to the right person, right? And so I think you're seeing this proliferation, sorry, of options for people. And that's creating different paths to market. That's creating better awareness of the technology that exists behind the scenes. Um, and in general it's creating more options for consumers, right? Who until now have basically gotten option A or option B. Now these platforms are trying to help their customers differentiate, right? So from Hewlett's perspective, we talked about how do you help people build a unique product? But I think the second part of it, and I I believe we did a piece on this on personalization a couple of weeks ago, when we think about, okay, there is, how is my customer going to differentiate themselves in their vertical? but also how is my customer gonna differentiate themselves from traditional banking, right? Mm -hmm. And we realized, well, in traditional banking, because of traditional cores, consumer products are kind of one size fits all. So what if we could help you use the context that you have about people to make a more unique product? Well, that's not something that you can replicate overnight because that requires you to change the fundamental system that things are built on, right? So the net net of it is more platforms means more options, means more products for consumers a focus in different parts of the market, you'll see these platforms sort of carve out their own niche Mm -hmm. and own their niche. And within that context, differentiation, recognizability, those are all things that are going to be critical. Um, And the pros and cons of different platforms will vary based off of the types of audiences they address. I mean, I know you've been talking to a ton of platforms, I would say over the last four or five years. Have you seen a a similar evolution or something different from your side? No,
1: I think you succinctly said it. Um, I really And I really liked the way you talked about Helix's value proposition. But um, yes, we've definitely seen a proliferation uh, of new options, which which I think is great. I do wonder um, for new platforms coming in, it's got to be a challenge, right? Like, unless you're going after like that, the two guys in a garage, uh, but to right. go after business, supporting a business that requires, you know, A backstory, you know, and it's really hard to to come in new to a market like that um, and have to imagine that's a challenge. But but I do see these opportunities that you describe about carving out like particular niches. Um, Are you starting to see I'll I'll ping pong it back to you, but um, is there platform to platform collaboration? Meaning if a client wants something, are you starting to see any of that? Like if a client wants something from one platform, but maybe something else from another platform, are you starting to see that type of collaboration?
0: Absolutely. I mean, in some ways, you could argue that Helix is already there, right? Uh So for example, today, if you want to onboard a customer through Helix, we have a couple of onboarding partners that we leverage, um, SoCure and Ideology, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll use that platform to go take you through an excellent onboard process because look, we're not arrogant, right? We don't think that we're going to build the best single thing of every single part of the services, we know that there are companies that are exclusively focused on each piece. And so the question is, where are we efficient and have a competitive advantage? Where do we not? And where is partnership the right angle? And in other Mm -hmm. cases, where are there other corp dev items that we can take into play to go bring those as options to our consumers? But within the Helix platform, you'll see partnerships on discrete things like IAV, extended account verification, or a KYC, or fraud Mm -hmm. management. You'll see... Uh, more broader partnerships with functionality that is complementary but not connected into Helix. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if a customer today wants an investing product, we have a partner that we you know refer them that over makes into. Makes sense. And That's and so I think you'll see you'll see that overlap. One of the things, though, that um, maybe we think about a little bit differently than other folks out in the market, I think what you're starting to see in that vein is a lot of what I'll call tack on partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, I wanna do this thing, this partner does it. I'm just gonna set up a referral agreement with that partner and say that I offer that functionality, right? Yeah. what do
1: you think and- about those types of, of agreements? <laughs> Maybe I, I'm kind of- leading. I'm curious where this is leading, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, in from some angles, it makes sense for the company who's doing it and for the partner, right? For, because for the company, it's like, how do I solve for this uh, part of my use case that use I don't case. have the resources mm-hmm. to solve for? right? Mm -hmm. And for that other company, it's like, how do I get access to new distribution, right? But I like to think about things from our client's perspective or from our client's client's perspective, right? And if I'm getting the exact same thing that I would get somewhere else through you, but I'm paying you more because you're a middleman in the process and it's going to be more expensive than going directly, what value does that bring me? And it more more importantly for my consumer, who I'm trying to go give them a unique product, what value does that bring them, right? Mm -hmm. And so as we think about adding partners, again, we're not arrogant, we don't think that we're gonna be able to do everything for everyone, but if we're gonna incorporate a partner, what we try and figure out is, how do we incorporate the Helix DNA into that product so it is a meaningfully better experience, right? So to give you a, a simple existing example, if you look at our our partnership with Visa DPS, Visa DPS is the largest debit processor in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. And we we do our card processing by and large through Visa DPS. But one of the gaps that we realized existed as a multi to multi-platform, right? So we have programs who may have multiple banks and we have banks who have multiple programs on them. We realized that there was a gap from fraud management perspective, right? So the Visa's tools are great if you're a bank launching something for your own programs. But if you're a fintech who only wants to see their fintechs programs, there wasn't a way of doing that, right? And so we sat down and we said, okay, how do we partner with Visa to get access to those tools for fintechs without having to become PCI compliant, all that kind of stuff? We spent eight plus months building it. And now when someone's using that processing... Because they're coming through Helix, they can go access those fraud tools and coming back to that first thing that we said at the beginning of the conversation that helps them be competitive, that improves their economics, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think as you look into external functionality, so one of the things that we're just starting to explore is credit. The question for us is not just how do I reskin another credit provider and sell it to you and make some margin, right? The question is we've built a best in class debit product. We know there are challenges with credit where credit scores don't encapsulate all the context. And we philosophically believe in designing financial products, leveraging the unique context we have about people. So when we're building that credit offering, it's like, how do I use the data that I have on the debit side to get you a better credit decision? Because if I can do that, then I can help my clients give their customers something that nobody else can offer, right? I can help them cross sell because that means that using debit improves your credit product, using credit improves your debit product, right? And we can actually fix a meaningful problem in the economy, which is that there's a ton of people who should get access to that credit that aren't getting it, right? And so I think net-net, I think those types of partnerships are good. You'll see more of them. But over time, consumers will be sick of getting the same thing in different places. And so the platforms like us, I encourage you to think about, how can I make this better, right? What can I add to this to make it an improvement for the financial system? Because I think that's our responsibility um, as infrastructure players.
1: So we've talked about the product builders. We've talked about the platform level. I want to switch now to banks. I think that's a good uh, segue. Sure. Um, you know, One of the things that we've seen at Tearsheet is an increased conversation around banks thinking about what their future is. Um, they've seen some successful partner bank implementations and, and, and banks that have kind of positioned themselves for the future. I don't know how, I know those are conversations happening. I don't know how many new brands we have necessarily have made that jump yet. Um, what are you seeing from, from your side as, you know, I know that you work closely with a variety of different banks. Um, what are you guys seeing?
0: I think we're seeing a very similar thing in that we're seeing banks more open to partnership with fintechs than we have ever seen mm-hmm. in Q2's operating history. Right. Um, I want to say it's, it's more than doubled in the last two years. And I think that's because banks are realizing that, fintechs don't have to just be competition, right? There are lots of options for partnership with fintechs and you're seeing an increased appetite for for partnership, right? And we, we talked about some on your show where there's the become a bank of record for a fintech, which is deeply involved, right? And requires hiring a whole staff, all that kind of stuff. And there's banks that do that for sure. We have a handful of banks of record on our platform that go and do that but there are also banks that accept deposits from fintechs without having to be the issuing bank. There are also banks that use stuff like Q2's innovation studio or marketplace to actually embed fintech inside of banks. Right. And And so I think what you're realizing is banks are seeing fintechs as partners, as distribution channels, and as ways to solve for different functionality needs. And fintechs, are also seeing banks as distribution partners, strategic partners, et etc and so that the ecosystem is getting more interlaced though so the thing that I will say now having spent five six years bringing those two sides of the equation together when we started in banking as a service, there was this misconception that the bank was just this utility right that like you could send Dumb them pipes. a flat file at, yeah. yeah you could send them a, a flat file at the end of the day and and banking would just happen, right? And I think those that launched products and got them to market and partnered with banks realized that couldn't be further from the truth, right? The bank is the one leaning in and helping them on the compliance and regulatory items. The bank is the one helping them through ACH exceptions or, you know, card reconciliation. The bank is the one sitting down with the auditor and talking about your SARS violations, et cetera, right? The bank is a big part of your program. And so I think what's happened from the FinTech side is, People are a lot more aware that the bank partner is an important part of that decision. But what's happened from the bank side is really two things. The first is a deeper need for collaboration, right? Five years ago, when banks were launching these products, regulators didn't know what to think about it. The banks didn't know what to think about it. The clients didn't know what to think about it. Today, regulators have a better understanding of what these programs are doing at that bank as a white label the bank has a better understanding of what their needs are now that they have scaled. I mean, we have some, some uh, banks of ours that have scaled from you know less than a million users to north of 5 million users, right? In the last few years, that changes what you need, right? And so for banks, it's really, how do I collaborate deeply with the FinTechs? And this was a big focus for Helix because we built this unified admin console between the bank and the FinTech because we are that core, right? Mm-hmm. Between the two layers. And the banks came back to us and said, It's so great to be able to collaborate with the fintechs where the fintech can handle what it handles, we can handle what we handle. And if we want to let the fintech handle more, we can do that. If we want to handle more on behalf of the fintech, we can do that as well, right? And so I think as banks realize they are the B side to the A side, if you will, um, they have a need for more than just the flat files that they've been receiving, especially as regulators start to take a closer look at some of these larger banks. I think the second thing is quality over quantity, right? Banks at the end of the day are risk managers, right? They take on risk. They generate some kind of return for the risk they take on. And they're typically pretty excellent at managing risk. Mm -hmm. One of the things that makes banking as a service a little different from software as a service in software as a service, you can spin up 10,000 instances of your technology. It doesn't matter in banking as a service, every product, every program that you spin up, is a unique bucket of risk and a unique reward opportunity, right? And for a lot of these banks, there may be small programs with a ton of regulatory complexity that they thought were really interesting ideas five years ago, but they're realizing maybe this wasn't worth the squeeze. Like maybe I'm spending more supporting this than I would be, you know, just not doing this at all, right? And so I think you're seeing. A deeper understanding and deeper scrutiny and diligence on some of these kinds of deals as bank partners realize that it's critical to not just get a partner, it's critical to get the right partner. Um, But on net, all of this is couched in a a general willingness to partner, an understanding that fintech is going to be probably a pretty important part of their strategy over the next three to five years. And so for us as Q2, sitting on one side with the banks and credit unions, with the digital platform, and then the other side with the fintechs, and then with innovation studio in between, it's a really interesting dynamic, right? Because we can kind of catalyze that convergence and help both sides have conversations that help the, help them understand the other side a little bit better.
1: So what's next? I mean, you know, what's next for the market? What's next for Q2? Um, Your post rebrand here. Um, I know last time we spoke, you had a pretty vibrant uh, pipeline, like what's next?
0: Yeah, I think we talked about some of them, right? So the first one is you're gonna see us add new functionality, but not just do it in a, hey, we have reskinned this thing that this other provider had, and now you can pay more to consume it through us, right? I think you'll see us make meaningful advancements first for things like minor accounts, then for things like business accounts, and then into things like credit, right? I think the important thing there Uh, When it comes to timing and when it comes to how the product actually works, is to also keep an eye on broader macro trends, right? Because I think one of the things that we're seeing is credit is more readily available right now than it has been in the last two to three decades, right? And as long as you're giving credit to the right consumers, that could be totally fine. But in a world where there's a market downturn, And suddenly people are holding on to debt that they can't afford to repay. The people that are going to be holding that bag are the companies that launch those types of products. Right. And so for us, as we think about how do we innovate in minor accounts and make them true DDAs and not just prepaid, how do we innovate in business accounts and make them more automated so you don't have to hire a huge staff? How do we innovate in credit and make it so your debit actually affects the types of credit product that you could get? Um, We're doing that, I think, very cognizant of what's happening in the market and and trying to time it out accordingly. Because our philosophy sounds kind of kitschy to say, but it's not dissimilar from Apple in that I don't care about being the first, I care about being the best, right? Um, Because if you're serving large clients who are building differentiation at scale, the thing they care about is that it always works and that it allows them to build something unique, right? So number one is you'll see us add those new products with a twist. I think number two, and this is less for us and is more for the market as a whole, I think you will see deeper focus. I think you will see simplification being a core part of what people focus on. And I think you'll see automation as something that hasn't really hit the market quite yet, um, but is is coming. And, And to really quickly touch on all three of those, from a focus perspective, we talked about Business models becoming critical, people realizing that you have to make a sustainable business. And if you've created something that just loses $10 per user, it's probably not that appealing. And so instead of trying to be everything to everyone, I think you're starting to see companies say, hey, I'm going to own this thing. I'm going to I'm going to be the best in this vertical. And I can kind of expand from there, which for us is refreshing, right? Because that's where we think there's real value and where you can create differentiation. From a simplicity standpoint, I mean, your bank account has kind of been the same thing For the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years, right? Why has nobody simplified what it takes to manage your money? Like, why has nobody simplified what it takes to actively maintain your budget as opposed to just set it and be told that you're over it, right? And so I think people don't wanna do more work, right? They hire products to do jobs for them. And Mm -hmm. so the simpler you can make that job for them, the less analysis paralysis they'll have, the more they'll actually engage with your product, right? Because I'll tell you, we've seen let's take rewards right two customers one will launch a rewards platform with 12000 options right that you can get any of these 12000 options and one will launch a rewards program with five options right but those five options will be based off of what you spend i will tell you 10 out of 10 times even though there are 11995 less options with number 2 they will get way more engagement because people will open the first one and say i don't know how to deal with this i'm going to i'm going to close it right and as part of that simplification personalization is going to be so important, right? Because if those five things are the wrong five things, I'm never coming back. It's a total waste of my time, right? But if they are the right five things, not only am I coming back, I'm sharing it with you, right? I'm saying, hey, you got to try this, man. They give you these crazy rewards that I haven't found somewhere else. So that personalization, simplification, hand in hand, I think are going to be relevant. And then third, automation. I mean, we talked about a parallel who's actually a customer in in Betterment at the beginning of this call, right before we hopped on, right? But what Betterment did to investing is what I think you will see happen to banking over the next five years, right? Mm. Which is to say that not everyone's going to want their finances on autopilot. Don't get me wrong. Some people will want to be active. Some people will want a little bit of help, but not much. And some people will want you to deal with everything, right? But now that the capability to move money, make those decisions, et cetera, is modularized, I think you'll see more and more companies do things like what Envel is doing, right? And actually automate parts of your financial life so that you don't have to think about it, right? Because that's going to bring you as a consumer a ton of value. I mean, I I know I told you that in 2017. I'm still waiting for people to really build deep stuff there. But I think there was enough low-hanging fruit. It's coming. There was enough low-hanging fruit in the short term that people could get to market without doing the hard thing of building that automation. But I think you'll start to see that as a deep core differentiator that some fintechs rely on. Um, to stand out and to build a better operational model. And then the last thing I'll say in terms of what's coming, I, I'm sure you've kept an eye on the recent massive acquisitions of cloud native cores, right? Um, and it's interesting for us in the infrastructure space, as you know, Helix is a cloud native core. It was the first one purpose built for embedded finance. And for the longest time, all of our competitors were by and large middleware on top of a legacy processor. There there weren't too many people who were cores themselves, right? The interesting thing for cores that are pivoting from being a digital bank core for a bank to launch a digital offering into embedded finance is going to be going from one-to-one where the bank is the one serving the programs is the one doing the customer service into many-to-many, right? Where each program has different thresholds. Each individual has different controls. Uh, and it all just kind of has to work together, right? And so I think you'll see two things. One, you'll see a, a growth in the, the value and the number of these cloud-based cores because they solve some of the intrinsic challenges that people who built on middleware are facing as they start to scale into the millions or tens of millions of users. I think you'll see some companies try and build that core themselves as they try and you know bring that in-house. And for some, it will be a natural fit. For others, they will realize it's, a hell of a lot harder than you might think at first, right? We spent eight and a half years working on ours and we're still chugging away, right? And then I think you'll see within the realm of highly valued cloud native cores, you'll see that transition happen into embedded finance successfully for some and unsuccessfully for others, right? Because it turns out it's not particularly trivial to go from single to single to multi to multi, Um, But I think those that make that transition are going to be really successful um, because they'll be able to leapfrog, as we have, over some of the traditional um, architecture and offer things that you can't unless you own that technology stack, if that makes sense.
1: It's always great to talk to you. Um, Thanks for
0: joining us on the Care Sheet podcast. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to get the chat and I'm looking forward to the next one.